there and welcome to Brain for Business, your podcast for all things brain, behavioural and organisational sciences. It's great to have you with us. As always, to listen back to past episodes, make sure to check out our website, brainforbusiness.ie, and feel free to drop us a note via the website with any comments, feedback, or even questions that you might have. An MBA is seen by many aspiring executives as a, a rite of passage and a necessary step in order to develop their network, hone their skills, and fine-tune their hard-won business acumen. Well, once upon a time, the top business schools tended to serve an almost exclusively male audience. Thankfully, these days, business schools around the world make a significant effort to enhance the diversity of their student bodies and to be as inclusive as possible. Yet, as our guests today have highlighted in recent research, in an odd twist of history, those same universities catering for an essentially male student body also provided special classes for their wives. To explore this further, I am delighted to be joined by Alison Elias and Rolf Pedestovic Amdam. Alison Elias is an assistant professor at the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. Her research investigates historical and contemporary issues of gender and diversity in organizations with a focus on the influence of social movements on corporate practices. Alison's forthcoming book charts the trajectory of modern feminism at work, illuminating the failures of equality-based frameworks and merit-based human resource management practices. Rolf Pedestovic Amdam is a professor of business history at BI Norwegian Business School and was previously dean of BI's executive programs. His research and publications focus on a range of areas, including business education and career development, international development of executive education, internationalization processes, and globalization and industrial clusters, focusing in particular on the maritime industry. Alison, Rolf, it is great to speak to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe we might start with uh, a question about the history of all of this. What is the history of wives at business schools? Well, thanks so much for having us. This is a history that has largely been forgotten, which is, uh, we were just sort of speaking earlier about that. Uh, often history reflects uh, the values of those who keep the records and, and sort of categorize the records. And just like in the general history of capitalism or history of the economy, you know, the unpaid work that that wives have done, and, and there's a lot of research now about um, slave labor too, largely gets left out of you know, contributions to economic development or, you know, the sort of engines of capitalism. And so here we have an example of a history of wives very much contributing to their husband's careers, first as business school students, later as executives. But, you know, it, it's a history that is hard to find, um, given the way the historical record remembers things. Was it really just wives or, or is that just a, a catch-all phrase for, for, for partners? I mean, were, were there any husbands, um, male partners, for example, who, who also attended these, uh, these schools? May I comment yes, on that? Yes. Because I think, uh, I think you mentioned in the direction that this, uh, this is the MBA programs are very important in the business school history and still is. So what we have done, we have in a way explored both the wives of some 
MBA students, but also the executive education programs. Because in the period we studied in the 50s and 60s and 70s, we see that that was a period where the MBA programs were already established in the US. And, but then they, get, they introduced this new dimension, the executive education programs, rather short programs for people who, or for men who were already in middle management position and who were elected by the companies to get this extra to climb to the top. And what we see, many of the MBA students, they had wives, not all of them, because they were in mid-20s and late-20s, but most of the executive education uh, students attending these 12, 13 weeks intense programs in the campuses, they were married, or they were expecting to be married. It's a funny thing that there is a novel that really started this process uh, in, published in 1958, which describes the experience of the wives of uh, 60 or 70 uh, uh, students at Harvard Business School activity programs. And there was one man who didn't have a wife. And that's, that's, that's fascinating in a novel. Why didn't have a wife? It's not said, but this is <laughs> it's there. So that was the ideal. You should have a wife to be a good executive. And, and I guess on the one hand, that's probably reflective of the prevailing cultural norms of, of the time. But nonetheless, I, I can't think of the names of them at the moment, but definitely I've seen movies in, in recent years, so the last you know, 10, 20 years, where there's this thing about, well, you know who is who is the person's wife? Who are they bringing, or who was the man's wife? So it's this, it's kind of this sort of continuing theme, which in the background on a certain level. When the wives attended the the, the executive uh, education programs together with their husbands, if together is the right term, but what, what did they typically learn about? Well, the thing we discovered is that they didn't ex uh, attend the same programs. To okay. take this, for instance, take the Harvard example, that, that was a program that lasted for 12 weeks uh, intense on campus, away from work, and they lived at campus, these men. But the wives attended only the last week. So in the last week, they were invited to visit a man. And that wife was called the week of the wives. Okay. And we see the same at Stanford, the same at MIT, they were different, a little bit different, but the same was in principle the same as Wharton. As uh, and, and then attended. And then they were given separate cl classes. In They went to concerts, they had cocktail parties, they had lectures on how to manage your executive husband. They had lectures on house economy, how to set up a budget for the family and things like that. But most importantly was the fact that they were invited to attend their husband's presentation of their work, of the casework. So they were in a way, the main thing they learned is that they learned the new ideas, the new knowledge and shared that with their husband that he had achieved during this, these weeks. What then did you find through your research were some of the underlying drivers of this process? Was it about helping prepare the, the wives to be the, the good wife as, as they were kind of expected to be at the time and as, as was, you know, how they, they should be? Or was it something else? 
what we end up theorizing is we we use this ideology um, known as separate spheres ideology from Linda Kerber, a gender historian. And the idea is um, that men and women, and particularly in the 19th century um, US was the context she, she used, operated in what you would say separate spheres. They, you know, um, or ideally they did. Obviously some women were not, you know, economically well off enough not to have, you know, work or, or make money for the family. But the idea was that, you know, men had certain tasks, you know, breadwinner, obviously main, um, main role in the family, you know, deal, dealing with politics, being part of politics in the community, part of the paid labor economy. And, and then women were to take care of a lot of domestic um, activities at the house, um, the home economy, the children. And so we, we sort of theorized that this is, you know, a, a sort of relic or, or, you know, sort of, I guess, manifestation of that kind of ideology that, you know, was established in the 19th century. And, and here we have it, you know, still appearing in this institution of the business school and, and actually in the workplace also. So the, the underlying process is that on the one hand, men and women operated in very separate and distinct work roles, you know, to sort of make the, the family work and, you know, earn money for the family. But on the other hand, the role of the wife was quite intertwined with the success of the husband in the 1950s. And we really don't, you know, towards the end of our piece, we talk about the, the idea that that became obviously sort of unentwined um, <laughs> with the, the rise of different kinds of laws that, you know, permit, you know, sort of prohibited employers asking about marital status or you know, asking about whether people had children. And so in some ways, the sort of overt attention to uh, the role of the wife, you know, kind of became separate um, in that period. I, I can understand on the one hand, you've got the the, the the executives who are going on these programs and were probably hoping to, to progress their, their careers. But what, what do you think and what did you find that on the one hand, the business schools were trying to achieve through this process, but also the, the employers. What was the underlying kind of reason that they felt they, they needed to do this? I think historically we could say that there is a contract between the university and society that the universities should serve the society with the knowledge in different fields, of course. And also, and that's uh, obviously the case also for business schools. So when the business schools in the United States were established uh, 120 years ago or more, it was a kind of informal contract with the business to serve them with the expertise to run businesses, but also to, uh, to serve some functional areas. So in the period we study in the 50s and 60s, this kind of demand or the need in the business had changed a bit okay. because it was a period of transformation. You see a, 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 a emphasizing the professionalization of management from family firms to professional managers who had these kind of skills developed by the educational system. And then the business school, in a way, defined themselves as the provider of this knowledge. And it switches switched a little bit from MBA with the young students to saying, well, now after war, there is a need for, for a speed up this process. So we need to reach the top executives or those who are close to top 
executives. And that's what they want to achieve to be the server of this kind of competence for the top executives. I think that's important. But that means two things. That means that they needed skills in, in accounting more. They needed more knowledge about this finance and all these fun functional things. But maybe most importantly, they needed the social skills to climb into the new business elite or business people in the new America. So it was a socialization process to prepare them for being members of those areas and their wives to be member of these uh, classes. So I think the business schools were felt that they were happy with what they achieved when they saw that their, their students or the participants succeeded in those positions. And, and that was the mind as a kind of social obligation to society to develop that kind of skills. What we have seen now is that, of course, they also achieved another thing because this was quite profitable. These firms and men, they were able to pay a lot. And if we go into these big business schools today, we see that they earn a lot of money from uh, this kind of education. What about the employers then? Were they, were they thinking along a similar line and, and also looking for that kind of finishing school, if you like, both for their potential and, and maybe even current executives and also their, their spouses, or was it something else that they were looking for from the process? I think, I think they were looking for a similar, um, in some ways, the business school reflects maybe the prevailing norms and values of the employers, given that they're trying to sort of train people to, to do well in that, that area. We, we looked at a couple of interesting articles in Fortune magazine um, in the early 1950s by, you know, famed sociologist William White, you know, who's famous for his book, The Organization Man, and this idea of, of extreme conformity um, and loyalty to the corporation during this time. And, uh, you know, he devoted significant attention in two um, prominent articles in the magazine to um, the role of the corporate wife and particularly the fact that, you know, a wife could make or break her husband's career and that the sort of social skills of, of the wife were very important to um, the career advancement of the husband. Um, there's interesting quotes about, you know, a, a wife who drank that fourth martini might not get a promotion, um, you know, at the, at the company party. So, there, there were certain norms to follow and, and also the idea that the, you know, the wives were very pivotal to the careers of their husbands. So in some ways there was some, you know, attention publicly and, you know, in, in society on the role of the wife. And, and so if we, we build upon that then and, and outline there, so what, what people were trying to achieve through the, the process, you know, were they successful? Did this socialization process did this formation or education process did it actually work and, and achieve those goals i think in some some extent i mean it's interesting to see that there are they made some surveys of students uh, different business schools uh, 10 20 years after they graduated whether it was from the mba or from the executive programs and what seems to scores very high is the creation of networks Okay. They felt that they had really be able to develop a network with other in the same position. And this was, in a way, 
reproduced by meeting annually, traveling around and things like that. So that in a way underline this kind of social dimension, socialization dimension of this, uh, this education. And, and in terms of the, um, the, the, the wives, I mean, did that, what was that process? Uh, did it do what they were hoping to do? I don't want to use the word successful because that's obviously a value judgment. Did, did they achieve with that cohort of, of spouses, partners, wives, what they were hoping to? Or is that actually hard to tell from the historical record? Yeah, I would say to some extent, maybe hard to tell because we don't have a lot of records from the voices of the wives, so to speak, or, you know, from their perspective. But we do get the idea, you know, in, in other um, magazine articles or other sorts of records that those wives who had consummated the role of the, the corporate wife or the executive wife really did, they really were elevated and, you know, helped their husband's career. I remember, you know, one article that profiled the wife of, perhaps the CEO of IBM or, you know, a, a sort of high ranking mm -hmm. executive there and, you know, sort of talked about how she went to lots of corporate events, you know, made sure she met um, a lot of the other, the wives shook a lot of hands. And and it was a, the, the sort of tone of the article was very much um, praising and elevating the extent to which she could uh, mingle and be sociable in the, the sort of corporate spaces to, to advance her, her husband. I'm conscious that the, the conversation so far has been very much focused on the United States. We're talking about Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, and, and so on. But was this just an American phenomenon, or or did it also happen in other places around the world? That's that's a good question, <laughs> it's a, and it's a difficult question. I think we need to remember. Well, let's say if it if it before the Second World War, especially before the Second World War, this system for business education was were quite different from one country to another one. The U.S. had, had the starting MBA um, tradition. Uh, Germany had the more kind of functional things by training good business men in, in accounting and things like that. And France had this kind of grand école, which in a way trained them into a kind of elite but what we see that in those periods, for instance, the front, it was a strong separation between men and women. Mm. Oshese, which is by some defined as one of the most prestigious European traditional business schools, had their own classes for women uh, established already in 1916. And it was not until 1973 that the women were accepted into the men's main class. So say something. But of course, and, it, and in Norway, also, it was not that kind of strong separation when I practiced. It was men who attended the new business schools. But then after the war, it became more complex because the American MBA started to be introduced in different countries in Europe and other places in the world. And also these executive programs were introduced in different kind of, of the worlds. So if you take an example, I, I made an interview in Bogota, Colombia, with some of the veterans that established this um, executive programs in the 60s. And they had, and that was totally different, different structure compared to what we see in the US, but the idea was the same. And they had one evening in the week for the wives. So they have the weeks, wives uh, evening. Mm -hmm. uh, so we see a kind of parallel here. 
while in US in the first year the, the women were excluded, we see, for instance, in India, when they established MBA and um, in, in executive education, there were some women. In fact, before they started to accept women in at, for instance, at Harvard. Um, Central America, uh, they had a program in the early 60s, and part of, part of that program, they sent people to the United States to be trained to teach MBA and executive education in, back in Central America. And Miss Phyllis Fong from Panama, she was <laughs> sent to Harvard to be trained before Harvard accepted women as executive education students. So, so it's, 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 a, it's a little bit complex, but, but we see some patterns, at least internationally, based on the, not systematically, but on the anecdotes and examples that we have. Yeah, definitely a, a complex picture, all right. If we, if we maybe bring it up to, up to date, do you see similar processes, similar programs in existence today? And, and I'm assuming that if the, they do exist, they're not you know, ed executive education for the men and other programs for the wives, but, you know, maybe sort of partner programs or uh, other sorts of training or education. Yeah, I, um, I guess on, on the one hand, there's maybe less formal attention um, put towards um, having, you know, programs for partners or spouses on the other hand, business schools still very much, you know, have associations of, you know, MBA partners. I know that, you know, here at the Darden School, we have a, actually tomorrow is a day where you can bring your partner to class, um, to, which is interesting. The only person in my class bringing a partner is a woman um, bringing her, her husband. And so I think there is still kind of this effort to include you know, partners and spouses, but obviously in a, in a gender neutral way and um, not in a way that has as much formal attention on the role of that person in career advancement. Although I would argue, you know, talking to my students today that they still do think that that is quite important in career advancement and having, you know, a liked and, and sociable partner can be very much a advantage in business and career advancement in business. I guess having been an expatriate myself and in that kind of lifestyle, I can also understand or guess perhaps that for the the, the traveling partner to, to actually kind of have a sense of some of the challenges that they may face when they're partner is off working and you know 12 14 hours a day to, to kind of help them prepare for, for some of those challenges regardless of whether it's male female whatever I can guess that the, there may be some benefits there as well I think so but I think now um there's such an increase in dual career couples yeah. um that in some ways you know one's partner is engaged and overwhelmed with their own career and, and job <laughs> particularly among more elite people who are in uh, business schools. And so I think it, in some ways there's less time even for someone to think about how to help their partner advance. If we think more broadly and sort of extract ourselves from the specific context of, of the wives at business schools in the 50s, 60s and so on, what do you think this phenomenon and, and how things have subsequently developed tells us about 
you know, changing social and professional norms in, in business and, and business education? Mm -hmm. Uh, that's uh, that's also that's also a difficult question. I think, but I think, as I say, said, I, it's my view that the business schools have, have tried to 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 provide uh, knowledge and skills more than just kind of uh, people making profit have a, have a, mm. another dimension. And this, uh, on the one hand, the business schools they uh, develop um, um, the the students. Uh, factual knowledge and also social skills and the other hand there is a demand for that and so so this kind of balance still exists but i think the demand or the social the situation in society has changed as we see now uh, over the last years a very strong emphasis on things like sustainability social responsibility and all these things that is also expressed by the un and and so on and it's my view that a lot of business schools, they really are very serious in trying to uh, include this in the uh, educational program to, to, to develop business people that are more uh, positive and do something to, to, to help sustainability, all these things. So in that respect, it's still, this dimension is still important. I'm a little bit uncertain about how successful this process to improve or or, or to solve the gender gap problem has uh, is because the, according to the number we have, I think that the closer to get to the top position, I mean, if you go to bachelor education, there is primarily female students, mm. MBA, the, the number of women are increasing. But when you come to the really top, top, top executive programs, it's still... Uh, a gender gap that uh, seems to be, uh, I understand that some think that some business schools may do more to change those things. I think this, what is done is in, uh, related to sustain, sustainability and these things gives some kind of hope that it's hope that it also can improve and continue work, but then there needs some more action than what it is today. I don't know whether you agree, Alison, but <laughs> no, I I think this is um, I I totally agree. And um, from a from a gender perspective, we we actually see, as Rolf mentioned, a, a lot of equity, you know, um, among more um, emerging leaders, um, people who are less of an executive, more of a manager. But as careers go on. We're, we're actually talking in my class tomorrow about the fact that it's very hard for dual career couples to both prioritize a very demanding career. And so, you know, there either has to be some some interval trading as far as mm. that, well, this year will your career will be important next year. My career will be important. Um, but we actually see um, there there's, you know, surveys from Harvard Business School among many graduates that you know, women's careers do tend to take, you know, they sort of categorize their careers as becoming more secondary to their partner's careers. And they, they take on more of the childcare um, and become sort of more primary in, in that way. And so it, I think it is still uh, very hard with the, the demands of a job, like being an executive to, to be able to do that, unless you have a partner who is helping to take care of home and, and um, you know, issues with children.
Yeah, absolutely. And the thought that also comes to mind, building upon your earlier comment, Alison, about the, you know, bring your partner to school day that you're having tomorrow, is that in many cases, the partner, whether you're talking male or female or, or, or other these days, may well have an MBA already, or, or equally, they might also be a potential future student for the institution. So there's this kind of things have perhaps changed completely as opposed to simply preparing someone to be a a good stay-at-home uh, partner and, and supporter. Yes, I, I completely agree. And um, what we see in the research is that, um, you know, people who, let's say, both have, both partners have MBAs, it's not necessarily that um, one completely drops out of the workforce, but just more deprioritizes their career advancement. Um, and so they maybe level out or take something slightly more part-time. No, the, the the challenges are, are are absolutely real in in you know for all for all couples and all families I guess in in that regard. If if people wanted to find out more about your research, is there anywhere they could go to take a look? Sure. Um. We, you know, we we have this article that's published in um, 2021 in the Academy of Management, Learning, and Education. It's actually a very interesting special issue on. Um, new ways of looking at the histories of business schools. So our, our article is entitled Business Schools and the Role of the Executives' Wives. And then in particular about just formation of business schools and executive education programs globally, um, Rolf has a lot of work on that, and I'll let him uh, mention that. Well, uh, th I think... Uh... <laughs> I think in, in this respect, this article you mentioned in Academy of Management Learning Education is the most interesting of all of them. And that's, I've been working on the development of his management education for many years, and I'm still doing research on that. But I think that this article was for me the most interesting and fun paper to write because it, and I was a little bit uh, angry as well at myself because I thought I haven't seen this before. I hadn't seen this problem that the women were excluded for some, even though I knew it, but not thought about the, the consequences and things like that. So, uh, so I, 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 I will also say that this is a, 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 a good article for both of us. And then I have written some things also more on the global expansion of management education and things and that. Where people can find it on my web page or things like that. And but I'm now working on studying the development of management education, executive education in in more emerging market market, um, seeing on the role of ILO, the labor mm -hmm. organization, how they promoted this in India, in Argentina, in Africa, and things like that. So that's hopefully I'll be able to publish in the next year. We'll see. That sounds great, and I will ensure to include links in the uh, in the show notes to all of those sources. Alison Elias and uh, Roth Petrovic Alnda, thank you very much for your time. It's been great talking to you both, and thank you for inviting us. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thank you.